Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's mentally yours. From Ellen and Yvette, uh, focus on your mental health, you surely won't regret. It's mentally, 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 mentally yours. Mentally yours. Mentally yours. Hi everyone, and welcome to Mentally Yours, Metro.co.uk's mental health podcast. I'm Yvette Castor, and today I'm chatting to Mark Rowland during Mental Health Awareness Week. Mark is the CEO of the Mental Health Foundation, which founded Mental Health Awareness Week. We're going to be chatting about the conversation around mental health and why the theme of this year's week is kindness. It's been up and down, hasn't it? I think for most people, I've had good days and bad days. I think the word that I I have been feeling in this phase since they started sort of dangling the carrot about opening up is 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 that sense in which this isn't going to be a short term um black and white sort of there's going to be no sort of day of total freedom and therefore you, you know it's you were in this for the long haul and i think that uncertainty mm. has um it leads to a little bit of weariness so i'm trying to find ways to to uh, keep spirits up and spend time with the family and get a good routine and all that good stuff yeah it's, it's such a strange time still I mean it's I mean I feel like I'm slightly more used to it than I was at the very beginning when I was really really in full-on panic mode and I couldn't get hold of meds and there were all these awful things happening but it's yeah it's, I feel like it's slightly slightly more normal now but also still quite weird it still sort of feels like we're in some sort of film to me you know like it's not almost a real thing but that's right and the film's Groundhog Day <sighs> I think it, it is the yeah it is the repetition and the lack of diversity and variation is the thing mm. I struggle with trying to find mm. something different to do each day other than what I did yesterday so we're here to talk about mental health awareness week yes. because it is mental health awareness yes. week thanks very much to come on and chat about that so mental health awareness week was set up by the mental health foundation why did you decide to launch that and when did you set that up well, it was actually set up way before my time in 2001, which was actually unbelievably mm-hmm. a time before Instagram was even around. Um, and now Instagram is a, is a key way in which we reach tens of thousands of, of followers. But yeah, it, back in 2001, it was still a topic which 
still caused discomfort, I think, for when you raised it and when you wanted to bring it into a public discussion. And we've just kept on every year raising a different theme, a different subject, a different angle, a different lens on mental health. And every year it's grown. And I think now it's the biggest awareness week in the country and it just has a life of its own. How do you think the the conversation around um, mental health has changed over the years? Well, I think people have started to gain a bit more confidence that it is acceptable to talk about their inner lives. You can still see the reticence. And I always talk about this being a two to three generation sort of act, uh, time horizon on comfort and stigma around mental health. Mm. So I still think we've got a long way to go. And you can still see the way in which we sometimes struggle with our language to talk about both the good and the bad things that we experience. But overall, from 2015, when the royals and Prince Harry, I think at the time, got involved, that really was a watershed moment. And I remember from that time on, Mental Health Awareness Week has, it was almost like the green light was lit culturally that this is okay, everyone, we can explore this stuff and we're allowed and it's acceptable. I think you made a really good point in there, though, that actually, although it may seem like, um, especially for younger people, it's maybe easier to talk about mental health in general because it seems to be something that trends on Twitter and gets more sort of discussion on TV. Um, I think older generations still struggle to talk about it, probably. Yeah, and I think... To be honest, it's also about the depth of the discussion as well, which I think we'll just have to evolve and develop and deepen over time. And I, I, I agree. But even so, even for young people, it it is understanding that, that that it's more than a hashtag and it's more than a a week, and it's it's really about a way of life. And I think that's in some ways. There are some positive things about lockdown because it does force that perspective and reflection and time to stop from the things that we are all so busy doing. And actually, that is a good starting place to think about our own mental health and our and our collective mental health as well. Mm. Do you think there's a risk now of the general mental health conversation um, drowning out discussion of mental illness? Well, I mean, I think that's a really interesting development and evolution of the discussion on mental health, because actually, as far as the science, the neuroscience goes and, and the psychiatric profession, there isn't really a clear line between mental health and mental ill health. There are a set of criteria that doctors use to understand when you have a diagnosis, but it's about, you know, for example, for depression, there are five big tests and it's have you slept for, how well have you slept over the last five days? days and but they're all quite arbitrary the fact that you've slept well for four days rather than or, or not slept well for four days doesn't mean that you don't have depression and so it's, it's on this spectrum so I actually think it's quite healthy to start breaking down the um, the division the artificial division between the mental ill health and good mental health and in reality mm. we move along that spectrum at different times mm. there are there are there is I think a risk that um, we we equate having an anxious day with uh, an episode of psychosis. Those are not the same two things, but the humanity and the experience can be actually have more in common than they have uh, than they are different. Um, can we go back to the Mental Health Foundation itself 
um, bit now and just um, tell us again, well, I say again, because you've been on before and tested about this, but um, what exactly does the Mental Health Foundation do? Well, we've been around for 70 years and we have really changed and uh, and evolved in that time. Our focus at, at the moment really is to think about prevention and how we can stop people from getting to the point of crisis, which can be really frightening and really disabling and also help with the recovery. So we do that in three ways. We we run programs in communities all around the UK that are that we know are at risk from poor mental health. So that means working with single parents, we work with young people in inner cities, we work with refugee communities. Um, and we do a lot of work as well on the research to know what works to support the people's mental health. So we have a big research team. And then finally, we do the public engagement, which is what we're doing now, which is the reach out to everyone. And we really like that combination that mental health is universal, everybody. Ev- there isn't a single person for whom this subject isn't relevant for. And yet we also target our community-based work at those who are most at risk because it's right that we focus on those who um, face the greatest challenge. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think that was sort of what I was getting at a bit between sort of the mental health slash mental illness Mm. thing. Because I think um, if you live with a long-term mental health issue, like maybe schizophrenia mm. or, well, like me with bipolar disorder, Mm. Mm. you kind of feel like it's it's great that these... um, sort of government incentives pop up sort of saying here's how everybody can have best mental yeah. health and sort of look after it but but everybody talking about sort of it generally um is sort of maybe drowning out the voices of of people who are sort of struggling with long-term mental health issues and who are maybe not being able to access crucial services at the moment and you know that all that sort of thing right and i think i think that's it's the it's the spread and diversity of people's experience, which is uh, really interesting in mental health. Well, I think overall, my observation is that it's a positive thing that more people are identifying. And I think, I think for, for individuals who have been through uh, periods of really acute mental ill health, that can sound when someone's saying, hey, I, I've got an idea. I mean, I was listening to Radio 1 yesterday and someone was saying, you know, they do two minutes of mindfulness and that's the way to go. And I can understand that if you are have been through a period of uh, real struggle, that isn't going to cut it. Um, but overall, we do need to understand that everybody is is on a journey and a spectrum and that we need to have a, uh, you know, a, a conversation that is inclusive for everyone to participate but as you say, have um, the, the support targeted where the needs are greater. And, and that's, that's a public health approach that we know works. So that's, you know, that's, that's, the, that's the approach we want to take. So um, every year, uh, Mental Health Awareness Week has a theme. And this year, it's kindness. Why did you choose that? Well, kindness, interestingly, we were told wasn't really associated with mental health um, uh, by um you know, some commentators who felt like it was too generic and too too woolly. But our research showed us that, it, that kindness is very closely related to connection and to a sense of belonging and to, uh, the, to, the, to strengthening relationships and building solidarity. And all, for all of those reasons, it felt like right now, kindness is power to do that. 
to unlock our humanity and to understand what we share with each other. And I think that's what Mental Health Awareness Week at its best does. It really points, a, it helps shine a light on what we share uh, in terms of our common experience of being alive. And, um, you know, kindness dropped like a, you know, it was just, it was something that really we knew from the work we had done with our supporters was by far the most popular. And so we thought we would uh, focus the week on that. And I think the concern for us was that it didn't sound as if we were telling people to, you know, eat eat sort of um, the mother nature and apple pie stuff. Um, but so we've really worked hard to release what we understand to be to be a, a, a kinder society and ideas on, on what would shape a, a kind of society that would protect people's mental health. I mean, you sort of touched on it there anyway at the start of that, but um, I have to be honest, some mental health campaigners on Twitter have been a bit frustrated with the week saying there's sort of rather you were talking about more serious things like lack of beds and waiting times and things. Um, what would you say to them? Yeah, it's a good, you know, it is a good challenge because, but I think what, what I would say is that Mental Health Awareness Week is like, if you imagine a house, mental health house has got many rooms in that house. The, the role of Mental Health Awareness Week is really to make that door as big as possible, draw back the door, bring people into the house and then show them to the different rooms because there are so many facets to mental health but that that we we want to explore um so you know for us the week is about making it as accessible as possible and um that's i think i think on the back of that though we have tried really hard to ensure that the voices speaking about kindness come from every walk of life from all over the uk whether it's the um irish northern irish muslim association in northern ireland or uh, young people from inner city in Lambeth and Brixton, so that we bring that diversity of voice uh, to the week, and and then use it to um, to just start discussion. And I think that's a very relevant one because um, there, you know, we don't, you know, we don't have the final truth on mental health, or we 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 just want to start a conversation. Uh, but maybe I would uh, point to as well those that it's really interesting when. There are some. There's some real deeper po- policy and more substantial work that we've done on what kind of society would look like. And what's so interesting is that it, it is much harder to get the traction and dialogue and engagement on those issues when you're talking about um, policy. And, and so that is a challenge every year that we we face as well to to help mm. deepen, as we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Um- Tell us more about the report you released this week about the pandemic and kindness. Right. Well, I mean, we, we've been tracking the impacts on mental health over the pandemic from before lockdown. And interestingly, some of those results have been uh, surprising. And it showed that for some people, for many people, actually, hopefulness and fear has, re- well, hopefulness has increased and fear has, has reduced as lockdown has gone on. But there are particular populations for whom uh, young people and those facing unemployment and insecure employment for whom anxiety uh, and levels of self-harm have have risen so we that that pandemic study has has given us in a sense a real mandate to um, to try to ensure that the provisions that have been made by government to give people good information seem to have been working the furlough scheme seems to have worked in terms of reducing uh, some people's anxiety, but 
as we just discussed before, there are particular populations. Someone once said, you know, we may all be in the same storm, but we're not all in the same boat. And, and, and particularly young people and those who are unemployed are facing, uh, you know, with particular concerns for. Um, in relation to kindness, what we found is that 75% of people, just almost 75% of people want a kinder society. They want us to learn from the pandemic to create uh, a society that is different from the one that we entered the lockdown in. And I think that's the really profound question facing us uh, as, a, as a future, uh, as a society about the future that we are going to step into. No, it's interesting. Although I have to say, I'm a bit worried about like the ones that didn't want a kind of society. And that, because I think one of the questions in there right. was also um, whether sort of kindness affected your mental health. And I think it was about a third that said it didn't. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. I don't... Right. That, yeah. Two thirds of people said they'd experienced kindness in the lockdown and it affected their mental health, which is good. But also I thought was interesting was that less than half had been kind to themselves in lockdown or found that being kind to themselves had helped improve their mental health. So, I mean, that's that's at the crux of it is that, that I do. I, I also genuinely believe that um, we do need to make the case for kindness in in society as a value that we really take seriously and we really protect. And I think it would have a. Uh, transformative effect on us and I think learning how to be kind to ourselves is part of that but we need to build the conditions we need to have the, the you know the, the soil that that enables the growth of kindness and too often um, that isn't people's experience and, and 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 that has a real and lasting impact on people's mental health and it's really the risks that we're interested in it's how do you reduce the risk to poor mental health and how do you increase the protective factors it won't work for everyone, but that's the heart of public health is, is that you have these broad brush approaches that overall um, help to support health outcomes. You mentioned kindness in policy there as mm. well, sort of slightly mm. earlier. Um, what sort of things do you mean by that? Well, we've done quite a bit of thinking about what would, what would a kinder society look like. And one of the things we're calling on uh, the government to do is to apply a kindness test to development of new policies so that they don't unintentionally or inadvertently in practice demean or dehumanise. And we work a lot with refugee communities and we do see the fact that the immigration system, for example, isn't designed with the human being in mind. And I think um, that that's a very clear example which exacerbates and risks their mental health. And that's exactly the work we do to help support those communities. Very in, you know, practical example would be Kindness in action would be for asylum seekers and refugees to be able to have health information in a language that they could read. That would be a kind mm. approach. Um, but more broadly, we're calling for ideas that we think their time has come, that we don't just measure economic progress, but we really measure uh, well-being and our health so that we can track the things that really matter to us as a country and, uh, and therefore make decisions according to that uh, rather than um, the, the quite simple measure of uh, economic growth. It's fascinating because I think some of the things you mentioned, we might we might assume that those things were were done anyway. You know, we might hope that people were treated like humans rather than numbers, and that people had information in their own language rather than in a language they couldn't speak. But um, but yeah, I suppose if you're not directly involved with with 
people in that situation, you you wouldn't know about it really. No, that's um, right. And I think this is this is what makes for us working in mental health so fascinating is that it yes, I understand mental health campaigners saying we want more access to services, but actually, and which we do, the NHS do, does need more funding. It has received two point three billion, but we're also at a point where if we keep funding the NHS. We, we won't ever meet the demand that is coming down the road if we keep creating the conditions which make people unwell or insecure. So and at the same time we're funding the NHS, we're cutting public health and local authority so that we're not having our, our, our addiction services, our children's libraries, our, 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 all of the um, good things that happen in communities that keep people well. We need that infrastructure. Mm. So it's seeing the big picture of what promotes and protects our mental health. And I think that's uh, one of the things we're really passionate about helping to deepen the conversation on about what are the things that what would society look like if it put mental health right at the core, as you say, that put people at the centre. That's very true, actually, because, I mean, for instance, I think a lot of people don't think about sort of social care much, but there's been some really terrible cuts in terms of local councils, budgets for... um, social care and by that I mean things like you know youth clubs and um and all that sort of stuff it's just been it's just gone and and sort of on the surface you might sort of read about that and think well you know teenagers don't need a youth club but they especially don't at the moment when you know they're not going outside anyway but um in the long term that sort of if you can support people who might be having a mental health issue at the beginning rather than sort of having to wait until they get to crisis point that's you know going to be the preferable way to deal with things absolutely and for many people you know one especially for young people the power of uh one you know one mentoring and nurturing relationship can be transformative and it can be the difference between um making decisions which can lead to getting into trouble and getting into um into a life of crime and one that actually leads to developing their potential We, we have a program in london called becoming a man which has which we brought over from Chicago, and it has fantastic results for young people who are at risk and in in an inner city context who are, are at risk uh, of crime or, or of uh, unemployment, and it, and the outcomes for them in terms of um, lower risk to poor mental health, higher employment, higher rates of academic achievement are fantastic, and that's what we see as a public mental health measure because it's really working with vulnerable individuals and giving them the environment and support they need early before problems emerge and and um, that's the sort of thing that happens less when local authorities are cut i think 850 million has been cut from local authority budgets and um, we, that's uh, a real challenge for uh, a country wanting to support uh, it's citizens' mental health. Um, I could talk about this all day, Mark, and <laughs> we could keep talking about kindness. But um, we, we've said we'd keep you for only twenty minutes, and I think we've gone over that. Um, before I let you go, is there anything you'd like to add um, about the day or the work of the Mental Health Foundation at all? Or? The overall goal of the week is to get people sharing their stories. So share, we're sharing their stories by Kindness Matters, and to be part of the conversation. There are two things we're saying: share. Share your stories. What 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 has been the role of kindness for you? And we we've been so inspired by what we've heard so far. But the other question is helping help share your ideas about what a kind of society would look like. And those are the two things that 
um, I think we're hoping will be the legacy of the week and um, something that, that we can take forward in the, in the months and years to come. So this is goodbye from Mentally Yours. So go away, enjoy your day, get on with all your chores from Mentally, 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 Mentally Yours. Mentally Yours. Mentally Yours. Mentally For more information on Mental Health Awareness Week, head to the Mental Health Foundation's website, which is mentalhealth.org.uk. If you've been affected by any of the issues we've been chatting about today, please give the Samaritans a ring on 116123 or email them at joe at samaritans.org. You can also visit their website, samaritans.org, where you'll also find their new self-help app, where you can learn coping techniques and track your mood. If you've enjoyed Mentally Yours, you can follow us on Twitter at MentallyYRS and you can also join our Facebook group. Thanks very much to our producer Juliet Nichols and to Lucy Baker for the jingles. See you next time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.